You're listening to the sermon audio from Rising Church. We hope that it encourages you and blesses you. If you want to know more about the Rising Church, please visit our website. Thanks for tuning in. We're talking about guidelines for greatness. Um, and and, and we're, again, we're looking at the story of Gideon. And we've talked about, the first week we talked about appreciating adversity. Um, the second week we, we talked about <clears throat> realizing and accepting our new identity in God, in Christ Jesus, and, and with the power of the Holy Spirit. And then, and then last week especially, we talked about this idea of knowing God and his character. And that enables us to know his promises, that the character of God powers the promises of God. Because if God were a liar, then his promises wouldn't mean anything. And so today we come to a point in this story, and I'm going to recap it in a second, but we come to a point in the story where it's kind of, um, it's, 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 it's darkest before the dawn, right? You've heard that saying before? This is a moment, a defining moment in the story that we're going to be looking at today. So I want your ears to perk up. I want you to pay attention to what's going on and, and understand. But let's recap. We are first introduced to Gideon. Um, when we are first introduced to Gideon, he is uh, in in the he's in the nation of Israel in, in the land that they occupy. But but the nation of Israel is is under oppression. It's under attack uh, by a group of people uh, called the uh, the Midianites. Uh, they're from the nation of Midian. They're a nomadic group, and they and they travel all around. And much like any nomadic group of people, um, in order to survive, they don't have businesses, and they don't have downtown streets, and they don't have uh, commerce and different things like that. What do, what do nomadic groups of people do in order to survive? They go around and they pillage, right? They go around and they take what they want. They go and do what they want. And it doesn't really matter what kind of destruction they cause. It just happens. And so this is what's happening with Midian. As they travel, uh, they will pillage different societies. And Israel was specifically one of their targets. And they would come in and they would, they would lay waste to their food both crops and livestock, and, and they would either just kill it so that they didn't have anything, so they would, they would burn the crops, they would, they would slaughter the animals, and they would just leave it all for dead, or what they would do is take it back with them and say, mm, we got steak tonight, right, kind of a thing. Um, and so they would, they would travel around, and, and, and Israel, as a result, is, is living in fear, they can't get their economies off the ground. They can't open businesses. They can't really be out in the open because if they put up any kind of resistance against Midian, what do you think happens? You know, you, your life is in danger if you put up any kind of a resistance as well. So they're, they're living in caves. They're hiding and doing things. When we're first introduced to Gideon, he's preparing some food. He's, he's threshing wheat in a wine press, right? And that's just kind of an odd thing because you don't thresh wheat in a wine press. You, you press wine in a wine press, right? Uh, you make you make wine in a wine, but you don't make wheat. And so what we get is he's this idea that Gideon is just trying to survive. He's living in fear of this oppressor. And this has been going on for seven years. Israel has had no protection. They've had no refuge, and they've 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 just been experiencing this over and over again. And I just want to bring this back. The fact of the matter is, is that sometimes we experience problems in life, right? How many of you are battling some sort of a health issue right now? All right. Uh, anybody have a creaky knee, ache in your hand? Uh, you know, uh, maybe you just walked in with a headache today. Um, your back is a little uncomfortable, and you're like, "Man, this chair isn't really doing it for me." I hope he's short today, kind of a thing, right? <clears throat> uh, we deal with those things, and if it goes on longer than a couple of days, what do we do? Whine. We whine. Yes, yeah, we do whine. Um, <clears throat> we complain about it, 
But we will typically go figure, we will go to some doctor, some professional and say, fix this because I don't want to live with this anymore, right? And so when you, when you think about that, if you had to deal with this for seven years, seven years, physical pain for seven years, some of you have and you know the patience and the trial that it takes. Some of you have lived in relationships where there have been nothing but trial and pain and gone on for years, and you, you don't see necessarily an escape, and you might be feeling a, a sense of hopelessness. Some of you have dealt with problems since you were a child because you had a traumatic experience or you were neglected or abused. Um, and you've experienced maybe all of your life these nagging thoughts and these nagging feelings that have, that have troubled you and tried you for years. And so in this way, we can identify with, with Israel and living with maybe a sense of hopelessness or a sense of, of struggle that goes on for a long period of time. Um, and, and so you have to kind of get in their mindset and understand what they're thinking and what's going on. After seven years of this hostile oppression and pleading with their false gods, they, they began to instead cry out to God. And, and how God answers is he commissions Gideon. Um, God shows up as an angel sitting under an oak tree, which is just kind of awesome in my mind. He just like shows up and I imagine him leaning up against the oak tree with an apple. I don't know why. Uh, that's not in the scripture, but that's, that's what I imagine. He's just sitting there relaxing and, and maybe even legs crossed. He's just like, hey, what's up, Gideon? You know, and he's like, you mighty warrior, you, you know, kind of a thing. That's what he calls him. He says to Gideon, you mighty warrior. And, and Gideon looks at him and he's like, I'm threshing wheat in a wine press. You really think I'm a mighty warrior? He says, I'm the weakest of, or I'm the youngest of the weakest clan in all of Manasseh. And, he, and he, he goes on and he just kind of gives this idea of what's going on. And God's like, no, 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 no. Don't be skeptical. I'm here. I'm here to rescue it. And you're going to overcome Midian. You're going to strike them down as if they were one man. And he's like, <laughs> right. Have you ever had that moment in your life where you're like, yeah, right. Yeah, right, God. Maybe you come to church like you, much like you had this morning and, and, and the preacher talks about something and you're like, yeah, right. I would love to believe what you're saying, but, <laughs> you know, and, and, and you wrestle with it in your mind. That's what Gideon's dealing with. And so Gideon's is skeptical at first and, and an angel appears. He delivers him the good news about God's message and promise and deliverance. And, and he questions the angel. He kind of accuses God a bit of abandoning them. But God encourages him, answers his request for confirmation that he is the all, the one true, all-powerful God of the universe that brought everything into existence. The, God, the same God that had bring, brought their ancestors out of Egypt, delivered them from slavery that they had crossed the Red Sea. This is, this is the same God that was the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. So Gideon eventually responds to God in faith, tearing down the altars in his home village of the false gods that they had been worshiping. And, and part, most of the reason for why God's protection has been lifted from them. And he starts, God begins to set Gideon up for the coming battle. Up until this point, Gideon, Gideon's been going through maybe what I would call a master class of faith. Have, you ever, have you, any point in your life, have you ever been put through what felt like a master class of faith? Like you've, you've, just, you've just been tested and you've been tried and, and things, you struggle to figure things out. You, you struggle to understand really what God's doing. And, and all through it, it's just like you're, you're kind of questioning, you kind of doubt, you're a little bit fearful, but you're kind of excited at the same time. 
and you go through life and you, and you try to put God's promises to work, you try to get to know God, you try to deal with those things. That's what, that's what Gideon's been kind of going through, and it's been a really fast-paced class in this. Um, we talked last week about how Gideon most likely didn't have many or, if any, examples of faithful followers of God to model his life after. And so God had to teach him himself. And God had to take him through some things in order that he would understand. <clears throat> and I just want to re- remind you of the signs that God gave, give, God gave Gideon. Uh, when, when the angel showed up and, and Gideon finally relented and understood that this was, this was God, the, the, he wanted to bring God an offering. And so he sets, the, the angel instructs him to, instructed him to set the offering down on a stone. It was, it was some bread, it was some meat, and it was some broth from when he cooked the meat. And he puts it all down on a, on a, on a stone. And this is one of my favorite parts of the whole entire story because the angel stretches out his staff, touches the food, and fire erupts from the rock. I like fire, all right? I will say that every week that we talk about Gideon, so don't, I just, I just love that part of the story because he just reaches out and touches it. And it's not like this thing that just, like a bonfire. It's a raging fire because it all, the, the food is vaporized, burnt to a crisp. And then the angel just disappears. And I think that's awesome. But this was the, that was the first sign. And then after tearing down the altars of the false gods in his hometown, um, he is, the people that he lived around were deeply offended because these were gods. It would be like if somebody came in and tore down our church building. How many of you would be offended by that heinous act? Right? Absolutely. Same idea that happened here. Gideon ran up to these altars, these places that they regarded as of worship and, and the, the false gods that they called Baals back in that day. He tore them down and the, and the community rose up against him and said, we need to kill him. This is ridiculous. This is not okay. And, 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 Gideon's father stands up and says, who are we to have to defend our God? If Baal really is as powerful as he says he is, then let him get justice. And so every day of Gideon's life there on after was an accusation against their false God and how weak this God was that they were worshiping. That was another sign of what was going on. And then the fleece. Gideon throws out fleeces to test God because he knows that God is getting ready to, to prepare him for battle, but he's nervous. How many of you have faced something in your life that you've been nervous over, and you just want to know that God is with you. You just want to know that God's presence is with you, despite the pain. It's like, if God is with me, I will endure all these sufferings. But if, if God is not with me, and God isn't real, God isn't who he says he is, if God isn't dealing with some of these things, then I don't really want to go through all this for nothing. And so Gideon is, again, going through this master class of faith, and he throws out this fleece. Again, it's not an example of what we should do as Christians. Um, it wasn't an example that God was highlighting to say, you should do this kind of a thing. This was, this was a result of, of Gideon's upbringing in a, in a, in a community of, of false gods. And so he throws out this fleece and says, God, if you're really with me, if you're really going to deliver us by, by my hand, then will you make the ground dry in the morning, and the fleece wet with dew. And guess what? It happens. And Gideon's like, oh, that's awesome. He rings out the fleece, fills a whole entire bowl with water. And then the next, the next evening, he's, he's starting to get anxious again. Have you ever noticed that God will answer a prayer and then you get anxious all over again, like immediately? We forget how good God is sometimes to us. We forget some of the promises and the things that he's done in the past. This is 24 hours later, and Gideon's struggling again. And he's like, God, don't be angry with me. He literally says that. God, don't be angry with me. But just one more test. If you are really with us, then this next morning, will you make the ground wet with dew and the fleece dry? And guess what? 
God does it. And, it, and so Gideon, you got to imagine that at this point, Gideon's like, I guess we're going to war. You know, I, I mean, there's, there's nothing else that you can do. I mean, this has happened over and over again, and it's not the weather conditions, it's not anything else, but God is just continually proving himself faithful over and over again. So it's time to act. It's time to prepare for battle. And so the next morning, Gideon and the 32,000 men that have joined him, went, they went to stand against Midian. They got up. They camped near a spring that happened to be a short distance from where their opponents were, were camped out. Now imagine this. 32,000 men. That's a, that's a stadium full of people, right? Small stadium, but a stadium full. Some estimate that the Midian army was numbered at about 135,000. 32,000 versus 135,000. What are the odds? It's not great, right? Especially if you line up with muskets, you know. There's a, that's a lot, of, a lot of stuff. They didn't have muskets back then, obviously. But, you know, this is, this is a battle. This is something that, that is, I mean basically four or five times the size of their own army. Um, looking at the Midian army, they're, they're, they're giant. They're, they've got weapons. They, they do this for a living, right? You can't beat a man in his own trade, right? So if you think about this, this is how they survive. They go around from village to village and they pillage. Um, that rhymed, I didn't even mean it to. Um, it's true. Uh, so they do this for a living. This is how they survive. They go in, they steal, they beat up, they kill, they do all of this. They're basically battle-hardened, right? Because if anyone puts up a resistance, they don't survive. And so this is their life. They've got full bellies. They're strong. They're trained. They roam and they battle and they, they survive. This is their way of life and they know how to make it happen. Now you're Gideon. You're standing with an army of 32,000, which is a miracle, by the way, because just a few days earlier, everybody in his hometown wanted to kill him. But after seven years of oppression, a good number of them are probably malnourished. They haven't been working out at the gym, you know? They, they haven't been in battle. They haven't been forming armies in ranks. They haven't been doing the things that they need to do in order to win this war. They're not trained for war. But they're trained for survival, to find food, to find whatever it is, and, and live off of little. They've known nothing but fear for years. They don't know how to face people charging at them, screaming at them, swords and axes and spears. So on top of it, on top of the 32,000 versus 135,000, you've got two very different looking armies. What would you call a victory for Gideon and the Israelites? It would be a miracle. It really would be a miracle if they were able to pull it off. This is what God says to Gideon in Judges 7, verse 2. It says, The Lord says to Gideon, You have too many troops for me to hand the Midianites over to them. What? Right? I mean, everybody can say that. We, we can't, we've got to read Scripture for what it says, and we've got to put ourselves into it. God has literally just told Gideon, you have too many troops to take down an army of 135,000 people. And Gideon's got to be thinking, but God, I only got 32,000. 
I've only, I like, we're, we're one quarter, one-fifth the size of this army. How is that so? And God says this. He says, or else Israel might elevate themselves over me and say, my own strength saved me. And this is telling. This is important for us to remember. So tuck that away for a second. I can't imagine what Gideon was thinking at this point. I mean, God's been directing his steps faithfully, and I'm sure he's got a good amount of faith by this point, but I'd be thinking, really, God? I have too much in order to win the battle? Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. But Gideon doesn't talk back, and he acts on God's authority. Verse 3, he says, Now announce to the troops, this is God speaking still, whoever is fearful and trembling may turn back and leave. So 22,000 of the troops turn back and 10,000 remain. Instantly. Everybody snap your fingers. Instantly. Like that. Gideon's army is slashed from 32,000 to 10. More than half of his army is like, yeah, I'm out. I, I, I don't think we can do this. <laughs> you know? If you were Gideon, what would you be thinking? Knowing you're set up for a battle that is just over the horizon, that's just a day away, a couple days away. If you're Gideon, what are you thinking? Yeah, pretty much. Like, God, what are you doing? That would be the question I'm asking. Like, God, you just, like, you brought us here. It was a miracle that all these guys assembled in the first place, that, that you had 32,000 strong, and 22,000 were just stripped away from my ranks. Hopefully this is enough to take care of the battle. I'm trusting you, God. Like, like sometimes, sometimes when God asks us to act, we're, like, limping forward toward whatever it is that God wants us to accomplish. I mean, the Bible doesn't say anything about Gideon's mindset here, but I have to imagine it's a bit demoralizing. Gideon's getting ready to march. God said that Israel will win, but, but it looks like God is setting them up for defeat is what it really looks like. And then, and then God speaks again. Verse 4. Then the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many troops Come on, right? Like, like this, this, 10 against 132,000. 10,000 against 132,000. There is no chance that they will win this definitely unless, the, unless God is behind them. But you want to strip away more troops. So he goes up. He says, take them down to the water and test them, and I will test them for you there. I will say to you, if I say to you, I'm sorry, this, this one can go with you, he can go. But if I say about anyone, this one cannot go with you. He cannot go. So again, Gideon's been through the master class of faith, and he's been trying to understand. And he's, he's like, God, I saw the fire. I saw the people didn't kill me. I saw the fleece twice. I saw you assemble this army behind me, and, 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 and you gave it to me, but now you're taking it away for some reason, and I'm not really understanding why. I'm not really understanding why. I go back to when the men were assembled at Gideon's call back in chapter 6, and I have to imagine that, that he was encouraged by this turnout. If it were me, I would have interpreted the, the men that he gave me as a gift from God. That it, that it was a sign that God was with me, right? How many of us look for signs in our circumstances? Yeah, absolutely. Like, like if I get a, a gift of money, like God's blessing me. If something breaks, God, why are you doing that? Kind of a thing, right? 
We, we interpret our circumstances as acts of God, especially if you're a person of faith and you're already thinking and looking for God's action in the world. But 22,000 have now left the ranks. God's saying 10,000 is too many. Scripture doesn't give us anything, again, on Gideon's mindset. It doesn't tell us Gideon wrestled or questioned God in this as he did with the angel or with the fleece. So I imagine that Gideon was probably a bit anxious. <laughs> Maybe a lot anxious, let's be honest. I mean, he's got to do something that he really doesn't want to do. How many times has God asked you to do something that you don't really want to do? Pretty characteristic. But God has shown himself to be faithful so far, so he acted on God's authority. Judges 7, verse, starting with verse 5 here. So he brought the troops down to the water. <clears throat> and the Lord said to Gideon, Separate everyone who laps water with his tongue like a dog. Okay, right? <clears throat> God doesn't give a reason for this. But you can just imagine the sight. He takes them down to the water. Separate everyone who laps water with his tongue like a dog. Do the same with everyone who kneels to drink. The number of those who lapped with their hands to their mouths was 300 men. And all the rest of the troops knelt to drink water. The Lord said to Gideon, I will deliver you with the 300 men who lapped and hand the Midianites over to you. But everyone else is to go home. <laughs> so Gideon sent all the Israelites to their tents, but kept the 300 troops who, they, who took the provisions and their trumpets. And the camp of Midian was below, the, below him in the valley. 32,000 to 300. 300 against 135,000 strong. Really, the odds couldn't be more out of their favor, right? I mean, imagine you standing with a band of 300 men looking at a crowd, looking at a, at a, at a, at a stadium full of people. Imagine you and 300 of your closest friends, if you have that many friends, right? <laughs> I think today we're a little friend-deprived. Um, <clears throat> but you and 300 of your closest friends walk into Michigan Stadium. You stand on center field and you look around at the thousands of people and you think, I have to fight every single one of these people. There's no way I'm going to live. There's no way I'm going to live. The battle is going to be, I, there's, there, there's no stronger word than a miracle. It is literally going to be a miracle. And that's God's point, is it not? That, that I don't want you to win by your own power because if you win by your own power, you're going to think it was because of you. How many times in our lives have we claimed a victory for ourselves because we had a hand in it, Right? Let me put it on the negative. How many of you have had something that you did and somebody else claimed the credit for it? That stinks, doesn't it? You feel a little slighted. You feel a little upset. You feel a little like, dude, what the heck? And God kind of does the same thing. Like, that wasn't you. 
Like, I, I put all those pieces together for you so at the right time, in the right way, these things would come together in your favor and in, in, in for your time. It was so that you would worship me, not yourself. Oh, you think that job that you got was based on your merit and your reputation? No, that was me. Kind of a thing, right? Oh, oh you think the bank error was somebody else's mistake? No, I, I fudged the numbers for you. You got an extra in your bank account, right? Has that actually ever happened to anyone, by the way? No. It just happens in Monopoly. Bank error in your favor, collect $10. You're like, yes. <laughs> um, you think that gift was because of the kindness of someone's heart? Yeah, it was. Because I was working in their heart and I wanted you to have that. I laid it on their heart. I laid the conviction on their heart to come and bless you with that. You think your community around you is just by happenstance? No, I, I, I moved you. I took care of that. That was all me. And, and I think that sometimes we don't afford God the, the, the credit or the worship or the glory that He affords. We hang certificates on our wall and achievements and we, we go around and we brag about the things that, that we've had in our lives and we are very quick, very quick to give credit to ourselves and not throw it back up to heaven and say, God, you are awesome. God, you are amazing. And that's the danger that, that he's trying to deliver Israel from. That's the, that's the danger that he is trying to avoid for Israel. And so in that, he has to make sure that the battle is not won by Israel's strength, by Israel's army, by Israel's wisdom or uh, cunningness when it comes to battle tactics. He's going to make sure that they know that this battle wasn't won because of, of them, but it was because of him. How many of you have had a 32,000 to 300 moment? I know that's a weird name, but, it, but how many of us have had that kind of a moment in our lives? Some of you may have had your bank card numbers stolen before, right? And before fraud protection and all of that wonderful stuff, what happened? You were liable. And if, it was your, if it's your debit card, it's like, it's gone. As soon as it, as soon as it leaves the, the bank, it's, it, there's, there's no getting that back because it was hard cash. So imagine, maybe it hasn't happened to you, but you've, you've known the, the fright of somebody using your credit card numbers and, 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 and the, the fraud that sometimes happens with identity theft. Um, imagine your bank account going from 32000 to three hundred overnight. How demoralizing would that be? Oh, now you're feeling it. Now you're feeling giddy in a little bit. You're like, uh. And, and if you're a person of faith, you look up towards the heavens and you go, what are you doing, God? <laughs> Some of you may have experienced a car accident, right? And sure, you, might, you probably had insurance, but, but you only got a portion of what the car was worth if you sold it yourself. Maybe it wasn't worth $32,000, um, but it definitely depreciated in value overnight. And what you could have gotten is selling it the day before. Now it's not worth a penny to someone else in that situation. It's a 32,000 to 300 moment. Maybe it's less literal. Maybe you've had a friend or a spouse who broke your trust. They turned out to be something different from what you thought. Maybe you experienced abuse. Maybe you experienced infidelity. Maybe you, you were used or you, you were manipulated or you were, you were living, um, who you've been living with turned out to be someone else. 
and all your expectations turned out to be false. And emotionally, you're looking around and, and, and your self-confidence, your ability to love and trust, your energy levels as you battle the pain, everything inside of you, your drive for life has gone from 32,000 to 300 overnight. Maybe you have an illness that's robbing you of your ability to do what you once were able to do. Maybe you've been through a traumatic experience. Maybe your life has just wore you down into survival mode and you've gone from 32,000 level of confidence down to 300. And you've lost your passion, you've lost your identity, you've lost your purpose. See, we've all experienced some form of what Gideon is going through here. If you listen to Christian music, radio music especially, you've probably heard the song where it says, you give and take away, you give and take away, right? <laughs> it's real easy to sing that song when you're getting, right? When God's given to you and like life's moving along, you're like, you give and take away, right? I know that wasn't the best rendition of the song. I'm sorry for putting you through that torture, but you will remember it when you leave today. <clears throat> when God is taking from you, though, how easy is it to sing that song? Instead of being cheerful and big, right? When we celebrate, we're like, God, you are so awesome. And when God is taking away, you get smaller. And if you, if you have a strong faith, you may sing it because you know God is still good and you want to believe that God is still good, but you've gone from 32,000 to 300 and you might be in tears saying you give and you take away. The song is called Blessed Be the Name of the Lord. And I've sang that song myself. I've used it in different worship settings. And the truth of that song found in Scripture is that God, in fact, does give. And sometimes He strips away. If we're honest... Like sometimes, sometimes we, we, we don't get honest with God or the scriptures or, or truth or anything like that. We don't get honest about our condition and where we are. One of the things I always want to encourage you to do is to be honest about what you feel. And what I feel when God is taking away is why. And I struggle with forms of doubt and I struggle with wondering where God is going to take me next. And I get set up for expectation, just much like I imagine the Israels were, I get set up for expecting failure. How many of you have done that before? Like, just my luck, right? If you've ever said that, you know exactly what I'm talking about, because it's just my luck that things wouldn't go the way that, that I wanted them to. It's just my luck that something bad would happen next. It's just my luck that I would come home and we'd have another fight. It's just my luck that that, that guy or that girl would ghost me on, on the dating sites, Right? It's just my luck. And, 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 and you try to be faithful. You come to church. You sing. You praise God. You hear messages. You, you deal with the truth. And, 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 and it's, 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 a, it's a battle. You see, last week, 
We made the point that, that, that we need to know God. We, we know his character because that's what powers his promises. Not that you know about God, but that you need to have actual real life experience going through some junk with him and that he would deliver you in that. And so God takes away, but he does it with reason. He does it with purpose. And, and so Gideon's experience with God up until this point is what gives him courage to keep going, that God has proven himself to be faithful in certain tough situations. And now he is to take what's left of his army and move closer to the battlefield. If you were to keep reading, and we'll touch on this next week, you'll find that, that he's still dealing with fear. He's nervous about how God's going to use him in the coming days. And he knows that, that more than once God said he will win the coming battle and Israel will be free from oppression. You know what promise God has given you today? Is that you will win the battle. It may not look like a win to you or to, to everyone else in the world, but if you remain faithful and you act on God's authority and you move through your 32,000 to 300 experience, you will know God. Amen. You will know the Lord. Isn't it true that when you have conflict, especially in marriage relationships, if you learn how to work through that conflict, it drives your relationship deeper when you get on it the other side? Some of you are like, no, don't, don't do that because we're in a fight right now. <laughs> and, but if you, have, if you have healthy conflict, it's necessary for life. There's healthy conflict that happens in work, in work relationships. There's healthy conflict that work, happens in church relationships. There's healthy conflict that happens all over the place. And when you can work through that and both people maintain the best interests for the other person and, and ultimately is faithful to the Lord, you will see it drives things deeper and there is a deeper level of trust. There's a deeper level of intimacy. There's a deeper level of understanding and jealousy and all those petty things begin to fade over time. It doesn't mean that you won't struggle with them from time to time, but it drives that relationship deeper and it makes both people better. Gideon has a promise just like we have a promise today. And knowing God's character and knowing God's promise, we must act on authority. We must act on that foundation and that authority in our 32,000 to 300 moment. Because they're going to come. Notice that after God gives Gideon the master class of faith, Gideon is at the command of God. When God told him to send men home, Gideon didn't question it. He acted, but he did exactly, he did exactly what God instructed him to do. No more and no less. <laughs> when, when we're having our, our 32,000 to 300 moments in life, sometimes we get frustrated and we lose our energy and we end up doing less than what God has commanded us. How many of you have been there? Got to admit it, right? We just, we look at it and we go, I know God wants me to do this, but you know what? It really doesn't have, it's, in, it's inconsequential. What does it matter if I don't say certain words? What does it matter if I tell a white lie? What does it matter if I eat this entire pizza and Oreos right after it, right? Kind of a thing. 
I mean, I mean, we giggle, but, but the Bible is clear that gluttony is a sin, right? And, and so, so we look at these things, and we go, it's really inconsequential. It's not really hurting anyone. In fact, it actually kind of works out to my benefit. So I'm just going to kind of, you know, we're just going to push that away, and I'm going to do what I can to comfort myself, because clearly God's not really interested in comforting me right now. And those are the, the justifications. Those are the questioning of God's character that will happen in the midst of our 32,000 to 300. The other side of this equation is that maybe we'll end up doing more than what God's asked us to do. Gideon could have easily been like, God, you know what? If, if you're taking away all the army, just take them all. Be all in, right? Just take them all. Give me one man and we'll go to battle. We'll conquer it in your name just for your, for, for your glory. He could have easily gone beyond what God wanted to do. He could have easily done it his own way in a fit of pride to prove himself to God. How many of us are stuck proving ourselves to the Lord? Especially in our 32,300 moments. Because in those moments, some of us rise up in strength. When challenge comes at us, we stand up and we, we, we're like, this is not the way it's going to happen. I control my destiny. Oh, right? This is not the way I want to see things happen, and so I'm going to change the rules. Notice Gideon doesn't fall back. He doesn't comfort himself. He doesn't just be like, well, God, if you're going to do that, whatever. He doesn't stand up and say, well, we're just going to go do it ourselves. He does no more. He does no less than what God instructed him to do. When God had said, I will deliver you with 300 men, Gideon is ready to march with his 300 men despite the fear, despite the questioning, despite maybe the pride that's trying to rise up or despite the, the pain that he's feeling and discouragement and maybe doubt in the Lord God. He's ready to march despite the fear rattling around in his soul. You know that courage isn't an absence of fear? You know that faith really isn't an absence of, of, of concern? But faith is the belief and the trust that what God has said will happen, that he will deliver you, that he will be there on the other side, that he will get you through. One of the things that I've really been meditating on the last couple of months is, is the 23rd Psalm and the fact that, that we love the idea of green pastures and still waters and that the Lord will let us lay down beside those things. But what it says right after that is that, that he will lead us through the valley of the shadow of death. Sometimes he's got to take us through these storms so that we know that when we emerge on the other side in green pastures and next to still waters, we will know that we can trust the Lord our God who guides us, who shepherds us, who promises, who is by his power maintains us. And so if you're experiencing your 32,300 moment or, or you have or you will be at some point in your life, you're likely shaking too. The first time I got up to preach, 10 years ago, palms were sweaty. There was a shaking going on. I remember getting up for the first time and I was just like, okay, got to fake that confidence, right? Got to be, be powerful. And, uh, and, and you learn tips and tricks. Like, you know, you, you got to, wave your arms and be big. You know, I wouldn't, I move my hands a lot in conversation. If you've talked with me before, you know that I like almost smack you across the face sometimes. Um, but, but I, it's not as crazy as 
what I do up here because there's, there's a trick to that, right? It makes, it makes me powerful. It makes you listen to me, right? I can manipulate those things. It's like if you, like I learned about this, like if you do this, it helps your concentration and it, and it, and it gives you a sign that huh, I'm pondering and I'm thinking and I'm, hmm, right? Hungry? I am. I'm thinking about turkey and taters tonight. I mean, come on. But it doesn't mean that I wasn't afraid. My voice was shaking. There was, when I would speak, I would take a breath, and I don't know if you've ever done any public speaking, but I would take a breath, and it was almost as if I had asthma because I couldn't breathe out. So I'm basically like choking on my own air, which is just a weird experience if you've ever had that. But God got me through, and I still experience that when it's not in this room. <laughs> Like, if I go to speak somewhere else, it's like, uh, but it's the same thing. It's the same thing. It's just because I know you guys and, you know, we love each other and we party and, you know, it's all that fun stuff. Um, <laughs> I know that was dumb. But the thing is, is, is that God will call us to do things that will terrify us, that will make our knees rattle and shake, especially when they hit super close to home. Some of you have been through some situations that, that I'm – I am so sorry that you've experienced. And I, and I am so sorry that you have to deal with some of the fallout of that every single day. There's some of you battling illnesses or your spouse is battling illnesses or a family member is battling illness. And, and you just feel so helpless. You feel so out of control and you're experiencing in some way a 32,000 to 300 moment in that time. And if you're a person of faith, it's not a question of Jesus take the wheel, Right? And we all know that song, or at least have heard of it. Jesus, take the wheel. And it feels like sometimes he takes the, you know, the back tire. Like you're, you're like, Jesus, wrong wheel. You know, kind of a thing. You trust. You put your faith in God. You know the promises. You'll even open up the Bible and try to read and maybe even become frustrated because you're like, I just don't know where this is coming from. And I'm struggling to understand where God is is leading. And so it's not a question of Jesus take the wheel because you've likely been trying to let him drive up until this point. But right now you're afraid that Jesus doesn't know where he's going. And you're wondering if you should try and grab the wheel and force a U-turn and go back to more familiar territory and, and deal with some of those things. Psalm 4610 is, is super encouraging in these moments. He says, stop your fighting and know that I am God. Exalted among the nations, exalted on the earth. Another translation interprets this verse saying, Cease striving and know that I am God. Yet another, probably the most familiar, is be still and know that I am God. I think that Gideon provides for us a great example of what to do if we want to be great in God, a guideline for greatness. And it, here it happens in what Gideon doesn't do. Gideon isn't questioning anymore. He isn't asking for signs anymore. He isn't asking for details before he acts on God's authority. I mean, I'd, I'd like to consider myself a person of, of a decent amount of faith, but I still get rattled pretty easily. And if you were to flip through the pages of my, my prayer journal that I keep, you would, you would find it filled with questions. Questions that, that resonate along the line of what in the world are you doing? There's quite a bit of fighting God, asking for things to go a certain way, looking for the details. 
Don't we all do the same thing? Don't we doubt, question, and struggle and kind of reach over at the wheel and be like, Jesus, like, can I, can I drive? Like, can you just, ah, like, and you're white-knuckled hanging onto the door handle or the, 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 the other handle, you know, and you're just like hanging on for dear life going, I don't want to let go. I mean, I don't think it's necessarily sinful, but in those moments, we're not exactly being still. We're, we're probably concocting our own plans without God's authority. We're not exactly being calm, peaceful, and trying to be still, in, in, trying to still our worry with God's promise. And that's showing us something. That's, that's showing us how small our faith really is. We're like a child asking why at every turn. We're, we're, we're sitting in the passenger seat, uh, white-knuckled, uh, telling God to speed up, slow down, watch that car, you missed that turn. There's a guy walking out in the middle of the street, right? How many of you have driven with that backseat driver before? <laughs> how many of you, uh, now it's time to get honest, how many of you have been that backseat driver before? <laughs> Are you, are you relaxing when you're being that backseat driver? Do you think your driver is able to relax when you're doing that? Because what are you exhibiting? What are you, what are you telling them in that moment? I don't trust that you're paying attention. I don't trust, I don't trust you. <laughs> kind of a thing. Now, sometimes, like if they're falling asleep, it's worth it to reach over and punch them in the nose, right? It'd be like, wake up. You're going to kill us. But most of the time, that's not what's happening. Most of the time, we're in the passenger seat with God driving. Jesus is taking the wheel, and we're just white-knuckled, hanging on for dear life, going, I don't trust you, my shepherd. I don't trust that you're going to get me to the destination. But wouldn't it be nice to just be able to be still and enjoy the drive? No matter how stormy it gets, no matter how slippery the roads, no matter how foggy it is and how, how you can't see ahead, knowing that you've got the God of the universe sitting next to you in your driver's seat, knowing that He's going to get you to where you need to go because He knows no time. He knows no obstacle. He knows no mountain He can't overcome. He knows no battle that He can't face. I don't know what specific situation you're facing today. But I know that you're likely facing a situation that has rattled you, that is frustrating you, that is tempting you to forego God's instruction and gather up some more men for the battle you're facing and, or just to give up altogether and go home. You're likely trying to make plans to win it your way if you're going to fight at all. But don't. Wait. Psalm 27, 14 says, Wait for the Lord. Everybody say that. Wait for, Wait for the Lord. He says, Be strong and let your heart be courageous. And then what's he say again? When somebody tells you something twice in a row, what do you need to do? Pay attention. Wait 
for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart be courageous. Wait for the Lord. And this might mean, listen, I don't like to hear this anymore than you do. I don't like to say this because I know that some of you are just going to be like, that was depressing. But listen, because it's true. When God says, wait on me, he means sometimes patiently struggle and suffer for at the right time, God is going to deliver you into freedom. Patiently wait, struggle, suffer, endure. I mean, the Bible is filled with these kinds of words. That, like, love endures all things, right? If you love the Lord your God, that love that God has given you by the power of His Holy Spirit at work within you, it will endure all things. The greatest commandment in all the Scripture is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, with all of you. And if that is a true love and you believe God to be a good God and you, you trust His promises, you've known His character, you've had any experience, then when you experience your 32,000 to 300 moment, you sit there and you might not like it. But you patiently wait for the Lord and you let your heart be courageous. You call to mind the things that God has done in the past. You call to mind things that you've seen in the Scripture. It's not what we want to hear. Because we want the victory now. We want it today. But God wants you to see his glory. God wants to display his power in your life and to the people around you. He wants to use your story, your struggle, to encourage somebody else in their lives. How many times have we been encouraged by somebody that's going through the same thing that we're going through? And we were so thankful for them. We were so thankful for them. Not the, No, we weren't excited that they went through the struggle, but we're excited that we've got some insight because we're getting ready to face that battle ourselves. If we are constantly trying to take back the wheel, we'll never allow him to take us to that place. He wants to grow your faith for future battles that will take place. James 1, 2 through 4, one of my favorite scriptures because it's a great reminder, not because it makes me happy, but here it is. Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you've experienced various trials. Notice he says whenever, not if, when they're coming. When you experience various trials, various trials because you know we know that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. What we see here is a direct correlation between struggle and trial and maturity. If you want to grow in your faith, if you want to mature in your faith, if you want to have the peace that surpasses all understanding, it undergoes a necessary testing and a necessary chance to express your faith in the Lord God Almighty. God is likely using your dire situation that you see today in preparing a battle that only he can win. He's preparing a battle that only he can win, much like the one that happened at Calvary. Can you imagine being a disciple at the time that Jesus was nailed to a cross? It looked like the war had been lost, that God was as good as dead. Every promise forgotten, every miracle, now just a memory. Faith seems to have failed. We've gone from 32,000 to 300, and it's still dropping. We don't have much detail on the time between the burial of Jesus and when the stone rolled away, but you can imagine the conversations that were taking place. They had to be much like the conversations we have today when we face a crisis of faith. The disciples were looking for hope, more than likely. They were making plans, probably, to escape from Jerusalem because persecution was breaking out. The wrestling, they were wrestling with what the last three years of their lives has meant. And quite possibly, what a waste 
it had been for them to follow this mere mortal around on earth that could be crucified who claimed he was God. Not much different from the conversations that we might be having as, as we look at the challenges that we're going to be facing. But church, three days later, the stone did roll away. And our Savior, our Lord, our God walked out of that tomb in a physical body, resurrected from the dead, conquering the enemy that we all face every single day, that we are under oppression. Death will have its way with us. It will oppress us. It will corrupt us. It will cause our bodies to decay. But just like that, everybody do that again the greatest oppressor of the human race, the army that has laid claim to every human being in the world had been defeated by the perfect blood of a God who just at the right moment, at the right time, died for the ungodly. This battle didn't even have 300 men. It had one. Romans 8.11, it says, And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then He who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through His Spirit who lives in you. There's a popular song, again, on Christian radio that says the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, raised Him from the grave, is still working in you today. That's biblical. That's a promise. The power that has overcome death is available to you who place your faith in Christ Jesus. Second Corinthians four sixteen through eighteen. Therefore, what does it say? We do not give up. We do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day, for our momentary light affliction is producing is producing for us an absolutely incomparable, eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. It is often darkest before the dawn, right? It is often darkest before light breaks. And I want to tell you, I want to encourage you that the God of the universe has paid attention. He has given you an eternal victory that whatever is unseen, Jesus has already conquered it. And whatever is seen, Jesus says, do not fear the world because I have conquered the world. You can't see much in the dark. You don't know what next step to take. You're trembling with fear over the battle that's approaching. You're nervous about the pain that you might endure. You're afraid of the change that might have to take place. You're, you're concerned that your reputation is going to take a hit. I know it's hard to hear, but the Lord has you right where you, where you need to be for maximum potential, for maximum glory. We don't like it sometimes, but there's a reason for it. I don't know what that reason is. I would love to be able to tell you. It'd be great to be that kind of a prophet, right? That you walk up to me and be like, okay, so what's, a, what's God doing in my life? And I'd be able to tell you. And we would have the answers. But Gideon didn't have the battle plan that was about to take place. He just had a promise of victory, much like you and I do today. It is not you who will win the battle lest you become puffed up with pride. This battle belongs to the Lord. This battle belongs 
to the Lord. Let go of the wheel. Sit back, sip on some coffee or, or tea or your favorite drink, but resist the urge to jump into action and wait for the Lord's instructions. Greatness will not be determined by you because it's so easy to take credit for it. Greatness in your life and through you, through your actions, your words, your hugs, your smiles, it will be determined by the Lord. So take heart. Do not give up. Even though we face trials of various kinds, the Lord is with you, renewing you day by day.